Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Will Store. He's an award-winning journalist and an author. We are talking about how to play the status game. Status is the original human currency. Prestige, renown, respect, and admiration are all sought after because it gave our ancestors better access to mates, safety, and resources. Now, the modern era has arrived and the lions are no longer chasing us, but our desire for status is as strong as ever. Today, expect to learn why growing a huge yam can make you the favourite person in your tribe, why tall poppy syndrome really exists, the reason for our conscience, the risks of radically gaining or losing status, the winning qualities to develop if you want to enhance your status, how the status game relates to cancel culture, and much more. Honestly, Will's new book, The Status Game, is one of the best things that I've read this year. If you enjoy this episode, then links to go and get it are in the show notes below. It's so interesting and fast-paced. There's tons of stories, and it's super relatable. It kind of makes you feel silly, but self-aware and world-aware at the same time. It's, it's awesome. I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode. I also want to give a massive thank you to everyone that has been sharing the show over the last couple of weeks. The growth that we're seeing at the moment is insane and it makes me feel so supported and satisfied and happy to continually reach new ears with these interesting, fascinating guests that I find. So if you are one of those people that's sharing the show and, and showing support, thank you very, very much. I love you long time. In other news, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. You are not getting enough fruit and veg in your diet, and you know it, and this is going to help. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, pre- and probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. It's even NSF certified for sports in the US, meaning that Olympic athletes can use it. You may have heard it on Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman or Andrew Huberman or even my friend Dr. David Sinclair, one of the world's leading longevity doctors. All of us are using this product and it is not a coincidence. It is the best and most advanced greens drink on the planet and they've updated the, the recipe 53 times over the last 10 years. On top of all of that, you can get a year's free supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs, free pots, shakers, and more, plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. So you can buy it, try it, and if you do not like it, you can get your money back after 59 days, no questions asked. All that you need to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. You get all of the freebies on there, and there is that 60-day money-back guarantee. So you have nothing to lose. If you've been thinking about trying it, I highly recommend that you go and do it, and you've got 60 days to try it out. athleticgreens.com slash modern wisdom. In other, other news, this episode is brought to you by Element. This is how I start every morning. After I've had my Element stick, I then have my Athletic Greens. You do not need to have 
a coffee first thing upon waking. Your adrenal system is what you need to act on and salt works on your adrenal system. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium to optimize your hydration immediately after waking. On top of that, it's the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting and relied on by tons of Olympic athletes, high performers in the NFL, NBA, NHL, Special Forces, Navy SEAL Team, FBI Sniper Team, and Marines, plus tech leaders and everyday athletes around the world. This is, I'm slowly moving everyone away from coffee first thing in the morning and onto Element Sticks instead. You can get a free sample pack. All that you need to do is cover the cost of shipping and pay nothing for the pack if you go to drinklmnt.com slash modernwisdom. It's $5 shipping in the US or £3.84 to the UK. And I think you get eight flavors or nine flavors now so you can try it out for an entire week you can cycle yourself off your caffeine see how you feel on a morning and improve your hydration for a couple of quid drink lmnt.com slash modern wisdom to get a free sample pack of every single flavor but now it's time for the wise and wonderful will store Will Stoll, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. We're good to be here. Dude, I loved your book. It is <laughs> awesome. Thank you. That's really good to hear. Thanks, Chris. You nailed that. it, man. So you did all this research about status. Throughout all of that, what were some of the weirdest status games that you found? Um, I, I think the one that, that, that I, I always go back to is the yams. Yeah, yeah, in 1948, this anthropologist went to this tiny island in Micronesia um uh out called Pompeii and and there um they had this they had this kind of thing where um you know it's very stratified in Pompeii that life there like it is everywhere you know and it, but it's quite hard to break through to the upper levels of Pompeii society but you could do it one way and that one way is by growing a massive yam and they would have these feasts these chiefly feasts and the person who brought the biggest yam was declared number one literally that's what they called him number one and um and yeah, uh, and he, you know, he would that there would be, be, be you know raised in status, and you know what happened. The inevitable consequence of that was that the men of Pompeii just became obsessed with growing the biggest yams, and they'd you know, they'd sneak out of their their homes at two in the morning, and you know they'd grow their yams in secret, you know, parts of the forest, cover them with branches, and so we could see the yams and tend to them with fertilizer, um, and, and yeah, and, and you know, in human ingenuity and the human craving for status being what it is, they grew massive yams yams so big that it would take 12 men to carry them into the feast using <laughs> a special stretcher on poles you know so so, so, so that's the, that's the, that's status madness it, and you know as, as i recount in the book we can direct our craving for status at anything and we do and a yam is among those that we can use yeah yeah what is it is it like a sweet potato what the fuck's a yam it's like a, is it, well it's kind of a tuber but i don't know i don't actually know what a tuber Pretty is unsexy thing to use for I'd rather get the Ferrari if that's not yes exactly yeah. can't ride I can't ride <laughs> so my yam fun, down the street it? yeah it seems more fun but yeah it, yeah it, it, just, I mean you know this, this is how the status game works you know that we, we, we can use anything as a symbol of status that it could be a giant yam it can be uh yeah a Ferrari it can be a lovely watch it can be um how great an activist we are you know 
Well, the reason that that example is so funny is that we look at it and think, oh, yams, how ridiculous. But objectively, there's nothing any more or less ridiculous of a yam versus a Ferrari or versus being the best social justice warrior. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, the, 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 you know, the, you know, the classic example is watches. You, you can buy a Casio watch for, you know, fucking ATP on eBay or you can spend two point four million dollars on a, on, a, on, a, on a watch. And it's they're just telling you the time. I mean, and that two point four million dollar watch is just as stupid as a giant yam. Can't you know? even eat the Ferrari. <laughs> exactly. Can't exactly. even eat the Ferrari. Yeah. So you say that status is more important than sex, power or money. Why is that? Well, I'm not saying it's more important. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, we have lots of, you know, different drives, but I think status is is one of the one of the most fundamental ones. I wouldn't say it's more fundamental than sex. Um, that that's really is a, a basic. But, um, you know, it goes back to our evolution. You know, as I'm, as I'm sure you know, um, we're apes. We were a kind of weird kind of ape that has kind of mastered the art of cooperative living. And so um, that's what we do. We, 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 you know, that's how we've solved the Darwinian problem of survival and reproduction. We, we, we gather into coalitions. So we, you know, we, we, we have this um, urge for connection and to be accepted uh, and to feel, you know, belongingness. Um, you know, that's a really important one. But once, we, once we've connected in, we, we, there's always this urge to move up. We're not typically content to be thought of as likable but useless you know he's a nice guy but he's just fucking rubbish you know that's, that's not what we you know that, that's that's not human nature we want to rise we want we want to we, we want to sort of move up and you know back back in the you know in 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 the kind of hunter-gatherer days when our brains were doing much of their evolution it, it was the case that the more status we earned um, the better food we got, uh, the more food we got, the more safe, the safer our sleeping sites, the greater our choices of mate. So when you think about that in terms of survival and reproduction, the more status we have, the better our capacity to survive and reproduce. So that's a very basic idea that your brain understands completely. Go for status. Because if you go to status, you're going to get that sex. You're going to get that power. You're going to get that yam. You're going to get that Ferrari. You know, the, but, the, but, but the basic is is well connection first but then once you've connected and once you've connected in with this coalition of like-minded people you you try and rise and 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 when you kind of take a step back that is human existence that is human thriving those groups take the forms of political coalitions you know businesses um hobby groups uh cults religions you know it's that that's just what we do as humans that's that's what that's that's our, that that is the basis of human behavior we gather into groups uh, and we connect into, you know, we connect into groups and we strive for status individually in those groups. You know, we compete for status with other people, but those groups then compete for status with other groups. So the status game is constantly working on those two dimensions, you know, internally and right versus rivals. How do you define it? Define status. status. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's esteem, uh, being thought of as valuable, um, uh, uh, useful. Um, you know, it's not just, oh, you know, co- connection and belongingness, which which people talk a lot about, you know, is about, you know, uh, you, you, just feeling loved, I suppose, um, uh, as you might love a family member or a kind of romantic partner or, uh, you know, somebody that you, but, 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 but status is about admiration, um, uh, you know, respect. Um, yeah, you know, feel, feeling somewhat above, you know, that's what that's what we like to think. That, that's how we like to think of ourselves and our groups. Is it like a an existential currency that our brain sort of keeps track of? 
Yeah, I mean, in the book, I, I describe it as the original currency. You know, b- before that, you know, we haven't evolved to crave money. You know, money wasn't around when our brains were doing all that evolution. We, we've evolved to crave status. And money is just one way that we've, it's a yam, you know, it's the one way that we've, um, uh, what one way that we that we count. Codified we count, status. Yeah. Yeah, it's another way that we play the status game. You, you, you can use power as a, as, a, as, a, as a status symbol, and people do. But some people aren't that interested in power. Some people aren't that interested in money. Money is obviously very useful beyond its purposes as a status symbol. But, 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 but that's essentially you know, what it is, is a kind of way of playing the status game that, that absolutely directly gets you, you know, better resources and, uh, and it enables your uh, survival and reproduction. You know, it accelerates your capacity to, to survive and reproduce. What are the main ways that people can attain status? So there are lots of sort of basic ways, you know, youth, beauty, age, you know, but 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 the, both the, youth but, and age are ways to get. Yeah, so it, yeah, when you, you know. when you get between thirty five and fifty, you're <laughs> fucked, and then yeah, on the other side, you're all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, like like in the book, I think I sort of slightly sort of glibly say that, but you know, by the hotel pool, youth wins, but when you're trying to get a seat on the train. You know, age wins. So it depends on the you know, the context. Um. So so, so yeah. I, I don't, you know, it's so traditionally, of course, age would always win. But now in our kind of youth obsessed culture, um, it's it, it's less so. But but the the the, the basic ways, the, you know, the more interesting ways are the ways we've we, we've evolved. So firstly, it's dominance. You know, dominance is 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 the most sort of basic animalistic way that we get status. And dominance is about is about uh, violence, the threat of violence, the threat of punishment. And so that could be, you know, physical violence or reputation destruction or ostracization. Um, so dominance is, you know, not, you know, unfortunately, you know, a, a part of our human nature and has been since before we were humans. Uh, dominance is, is typically a much more kind of animalistic way. You know, hens peck at each other until their pecking order is established. And that's how they play their status game. Um, but, but we, you know, humans, when we kind of settle down, uh, you know, we, we um developed um these new ways of playing status games um you know some animals do play games with um reputation too it's thought interestingly um uh, but 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 we uh kind of really mastered the art of playing status games with reputation by earning prestige Uh, and, and fundamentally it's about showing yourself to be useful to your group to your tribe and there are two ways you can be useful to your tribe one is by being virtuous so courageous, generous, but also, um, you know, a good fo- a conformist, good follower of rules and a good person, you know, a person who punishes rule breakers. You know, that's part of being virtuous. Um, and the other way is by being successful, by being skillful, by, you know, being the best honey finder, the best hunter, the best grower of yams, you know. Um, so, so, so those are the three kind of essential ways that we um, play status games, dominance, virtue and success and if you think about um those three different routes to status they kind of define kind the kinds of status games that we we play so you know boxing is a dominance game it, it's about violence and it's about it's about who's the who's the most um y- y- you know dominant individual uh, a religion or a royal or a royal family is a virtue game it's about deference obedience um following the rules um, and uh, a corporation or a scientific endeavor is a success game. They're, they're, rewarding, they're rewarding status on the basis of you um, successfully achieving some you know, closely defined goal. And just the, the important thing to, to, to note here is that th- there aren't any really, really pure games. You know, all games are kind of a, tend to be a mixture of all three. 
but 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 usually one route to status will be be, be dominant. So in, in boxing, that's obviously a dominance game, but it still has a virtue element too because you have to follow these rules. And there, and obviously it's a success game. You know, you're, you're you, you have to be. It, it isn't just about throwing punches willy nilly. You've got to be really skillful to be a successful boxer. So so, so you can see how all those three routes to status are in most games probably all games but one tends to be, tends to be it's like a flavor in a soup the dominant kind of flavor which one's most fragile i'm going to guess the dominance the fear and uh, fear and force um what do you mean by fragile in that ruling through fear to me seems like the least scalable getting people to actually buy into you as a human to get them to want to support you. This person has virtue. They are useful to us. We can trust them. That, to me, seems like it would scale very well, whereas fear and force inherently seems more risky. Yeah, I, 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 think, I, I think there's something to that, definitely. And, you know, when, when, you're, when you're forcing people to attend to you in status, that is, you know, in in many contexts, an inherently unstable way of kind of leading a status game. As you see throughout history, um, you know, dominant leaders tend to fall. Um, but um, the research is quite interesting because it shows that when a status game, a group feels under threat, they, they tend to um, want a dominant leader to, to, to lead them. Uh, so, so, you know, we, you know, it, it's a kind of, uh, a typical thing that when when the status of a group feels under threat, like in times of war or even a pandemic, um, that, that that people want to be led by somebody who is more dominant, and and that's found interestingly across gender. That's men and women tend to prefer dominant leaders in those times. Why do you think that is? Well, because it, 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 we're in trouble. You know, we need a leader to come in and tell us what to do. You know, um, dominance. Um, uh, you, one, one of the concepts that I write about in the book in, in some depth is, is this concept of tightness, which psychologists talk about. You know, groups and cultures can be tight, t- tight versus loose. And so, you know, in the West, we're quite, we have quite loose cultures. Um, uh, yeah, and, you know, it's not just in the West. Um, uh, but, but yeah, you know, the UK, the US are quite loose cultures. We're not that conformist. Um, uh, that, 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 you know, we value individual freedom, but other cultures, you know, Germany is, is a relatively tight culture. The Southern states versus the Northern states of America, Southern states tend to be tighter. So they're more conformist. They're, 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 there's more dominance going on. Um, they're, they're better at following rules. They tend to be kind of more superstitious and, and, and liable to kind of believe, uh, you know, the, the, the wild stories that, that are told uh, amongst their, amongst their group. And so in times of trouble, you know, we tighten up. You know, even the loose, you know, um, you see it during the pandemic, in, you know, especially in the in the UK. Um, uh, you know, we, we we've been very conformist during the pandemic. You know, the anti-vax thing isn't isn't a major thing over here like it is in the States. Um, we've tightened up. And, you know, the, the, you know my personal <laughs> default is, OK, tell me what to do. I don't care. <laughs> Just if, if you tell me, want me to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. If you want me to drop it, I'll drop it. Just tell me what to do. And I think that's the appropriate, that's actually appropriate in, 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 a, in a time of threat to, 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 to go into that kind of tighter, kind of hunker down and, 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 and you know, into that kind of tighter, more conformist space. How do high and low status people relate to each other then? 
Well, um, the, the game is always kind of um, jostling. You know, one of the interesting things um, that, the, the, you know, I read quite a lot about in my research is, the, is this idea of, the, you know, the copying instinct. Humans just are amazing at copying um, people. And we tend to copy the high status people who are in our game. So, so they're the people that we look up to and go, I want to be like you. And we'll tend to kind of blindly copy them. And, you know, it's quite interesting. Uh, there was one, there was one study that, that looked at the behavior of, you know, young human children versus chimps. And uh, the, 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 the experiment was there was a certain procedure um, that, that you had to go through in order to get some sort of treat and um, the, the chimpanzees, you know, quite quickly worked out which parts of the procedure weren't, you know, they were copying, they were learning by copying. And, and the chimps quite quickly le- worked out which parts of the procedure they could drop. But the young humans copied everything. They didn't care. They just copied everything. And I thought that was really interesting because in a sense, the chimps are smarter than us in that in that context. You know, they're just, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. But but we're copying everything. And that's the status game. And, you know, I remember, you know, when I was eight years old, I was obsessed with, uh, this pop star Nick Kershaw, you know, I was completely, you know, oh my God, I was, you know, and um, and I remember seeing him on TV AM, you know, with his crossing his legs in a certain way. He had his ankle on his knee, and I thought, ah. and I just started doing that. And I, you know, I didn't know why I was doing it, but I started to go just sort of sitting around with my ankle. That's going to be my route to become yeah. a world champion yeah. pop star. Yeah, and, and I didn't know why I was doing it, but that's the programming. You know, we look at people that we want to be like. And we, you know, we, I call it the copy flatter conform kind of, you know, uh, um, the copy flatter conform process. That's ten, what we want to do. We copy them. We flatter them. Oh, you're amazing. You know, we, we lavish them with status and we conform, you know, we do what they tell us to do. And, that, and that's kind of a strategy. It's because we want to climb up too. And we're looking at them. They're up there. So if we copy everything they're doing um, uh, and we're nice to them so that it allows to be around us, then we'll hopefully rise too. Do you think that we actually like people with high status or do we just secretly hate them and find them useful allies? That's a good question because it's a nuance. It's a very nuanced question. And it's something that I really, really kind of wrestled with when I was writing the book. And so um, the answer is it depends. And as I said, I I think, you know, generally, the the, the general fact is we resent high high status people. Status is, is of such value to us. Um, and um, it's relative. So the more other people have, the less we have. You know, there isn't just like a you know a score on on a scoreboard. It, you know, if if I sell this many books, but then my rival sells this many books, suddenly now I'm down here, and and so we're constantly constantly measuring other people's status versus us. And you know, we've we've evolved in in relatively small groups, and you know, compared to today's you know globally connected internet world, we haven't evolved to play these huge vast games where we're kind of you know, subconsciously comparing ourselves to bloody Michelle Obama or the King of Thailand or, who, or whoever it is. So, 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 so you know, we, we are kind of riven with resentments. But, the, but there are exceptions to this. And, and, the, and the exceptions are really when, as I say, it's the Nick Kershaw thing again. It's, it's when we're sort of playing a status game and we're looking up at, at somebody and, and they're playing the same game as us. And we're like, uh, and we go into that mode of I want to be like this person. You know, I want to learn from this person, become this person. And then, you know, that, 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 that kind of fights through that default resentment. And, uh, and actually, we, 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 you know, we start to admire them. You know, we admire artists and, um, you know, icons who we feel have a piece of us in them and that, and that we want to be like. Presumably, there must be a closeness um, metric that we have in the back of our brains where you're you and nick kershaw you at eight years old you weren't competing with him 
So modeling his behavior is still a high status thing for you to do that doesn't look like deference to a rival, as opposed to if you had the kid that was in the year above you and wore cooler trainers, maybe you and him could be jostling for similar sorts of status. So I imagine that 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 closeness actually provides more rivalry as opposed to sort of cooperative modeling. Definitely, yeah, that's that's absolutely right, and 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 that was one of the one of the sort of more surprising things that I, that I learned that um, you know, you might think that maximizing the sense of competition between people would give you maximal performance, say in a in a company, but it's actually not true. You know, um, too much competition just gives you a hellish, say, corporate environment. You know, where everyone's big because you know status is freely given, and, and if status is in short supply, and we're fighting for it. No one's going to be giving out status. I mean, it's going to be a miserable, going to be a miserable. Um, you know, place to work or environment to be in. And actually, um, you know, but rivalry really is, um, uh, it, rivalry is something else. So, so, so rivalry happens when, as you say, when we're very close, it, it, um, feeling very close to competitive with an individual or a, another company. Uh, and um, it's that closeness that's, that, that creates the rivalry. So, so typical rivals have a history of, you know, near wins, you know, near losses, skirmishes, uh, and, you know, you can think about Apple and Microsoft or, you know, obviously Apple have now kind of beaten them to, in, into a pulp. Uh, but, but for a long time, Apple and Microsoft were, you know, were deadly rivals because they were they were close, um, you know, for, for, for a while. And, and yeah, and I think that works obviously on the individual level, too, is the people closest to us that we become very rivalrous to. And actually rivalry can be very, very motivating. You know, it can, you know, as unpleasant as it feels, it can be an absolute force for success when, when we kind of lock into a rival and go, right, it's personal. <laughs> I'm going to beat you, you know. How, what were some of the examples that you found to do with the ridiculous relativity of status? Wasn't there any, was there an economist article to do with job titles? Yeah, that's right. There were the, um, um, it wasn't an economist. It was a study. I think it was of seventeen thousand employees in Britain, and and uh, I think by memory it was seventy percent of them said they would opt for, given the choice, they would opt for a, a, a more statusful job title rather than more money. And so, um, filing clerks would, would wanted to be wanted to be called data storage specialists as one of them, you know. And, it, and it's it's funny, but 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 they were onto something. You know, status is really important, uh, and uh, you know, as as important as you know, resources are. Um, you know, status is also extremely important, and 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 it's not an irrational. I don't think it's an irrational choice to make. It sounds so irrational, though. Think about it. You're choosing to get what is. Like essentially just an intangible nothing yeah. over a real explicit objective quantifiable take it home pay it make it make it work for you asset and yeah. people would rather have 70 percent of people would prefer to get i think I, I saw a study as well previously to do with would you rather double your workload uh, double your wages and everybody else stay the same or 10x your wages and everybody else 20x. And the vast majority of people chose to get the absolute lower figure, but the relative higher figure. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. And, and that, that shows the importance of status. And, and you know, it, it sounds stupid, but there are two things to say about that. And, and first is just to, you know, kind of re-up the idea that, 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 that you know, we have evolved to crave um, status on a fundamental level, you know, psychologically, and is also, you know, evident, there, there is evidence also physically, we need 
to feel like we have status. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're, you know, we're in trouble, big trouble psychologically. So, 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 so it matters. It's like, a, it's like a new, an essential nutrient for the mind, I, I, status. So, so we need it. And also, you know, these job titles, it's just an act of imagination. But it's all an act of imagination. The fast car is an act of, yeah. you know, the act of imagination. The flashy watch is an act of imagination. Even, you know, our, you know, our, the, the moral status games that we play are acts of shared imagination. You know, we decide one day that this is the morally correct thing to do. The next day it's something else. It doesn't exist in the real world. All these moral arguments we have with everybody, they don't actually exist. You can't find a moral truth under a microscope. You can't dig it out of the ground. You know, it's all it's all acts of imagination. You know, and that you know, that's the world that humans exist in. We connect into groups and we have this shared imaginary games that we play where we where we say this job is great and this job isn't great. Yeah. This belief is great and this belief is great. This type of activity is exactly. worthy of status. Yeah. This type of activity is not worthy of status. This is something that really struck me when you broke down what our conscience is, that our conscience is basically an internal enforcement mechanism for things that we predict our culture would reward or punish in terms of status. Yeah, so it's not my phrase, but 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 somebody came. I read about it. In, I read the phrase in Sarah Jane Blakemore's um, book, um, uh, and you know she, she talks about this idea of the imaginary audience. The consciousness is this imaginary audience. You know, we, we're a social animal, and you know, status. You know, if it's not dominance, is given to us. You know, uh, voluntarily by the by the by the people that we share our lives with, and so you can you can see the consciousness is kind of rehearsal, is kind of prediction machine. Um, um, if, if you if you imagine doing something really bad, you know your conscience twitches. Oh, you know you should you shouldn't do that. You, you, you respond with fear. Um, but if you imagine yourself doing something fantastic, the, the the people that you share your life with are going to think it's great. You, you feel really good, and that's your conscience kind of helping you predicting. And and you know, and it also pun. You know, it also obviously works retrospectively too. If you do something really bad, that's a kind of signal from your from your kind of status game playing cognition saying, "Don't do that again." You know, that that is danger. Danger lies that way because that because when you do that. It's a, it's a social thing. You, you're, you're dropping in status in the eyes of your co-players. And that is bad. You know, that, that is in the old, you know, it's thought that um, capital punishment was once a human universal. So that's the ultimate cost for, you know, dropping too far in status. You're dead. So, so, so that's, you know, that, that's the conscience. It's this kind of it's helping us out by predict both predicting and by you know, wagging its finger at us, uh, uh, the things we've done in the past, in, you know, it's like a pain signal, I guess, in a way, warning you that something's wrong with your behavior. It's interesting that a lot of the things we value in terms of morals and virtue, they don't look as selfless in the harsh light of the status game, do they? No, I mean, I think the initial, the, the journey that I've been on with this is, is, is firstly... You, did you, you get, start... Sorry, did you get uncomfortable? Did you find it uncomfortable as you slowly imbibe that a lot of the things that you valued in yourself, the virtuous qualities you thought you had, are just these shameless plays to desperately try and get Will Storr's name further up the endless totem pole of status in the world? <laughs> well, to be honest, I have quite... A, I, don't, I don't... Well, I mean, I don't know. Not really. I don't really have a hugely high opinion of myself. <laughs> I have self-esteem issues. I don't think... I didn't go on that journey. I never thought I was this saint anyway. But 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 but, but yeah, I, I think you go go on a journey of, of, of initially quite, cynis, quite cynical, of quite going, well... You know, all, all, all these moral things we do, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a game. It's a status game. And, you know, the Pope, Mother Teresa, they're moral superstars, you know, in the same way that, 
you know, you know, Barack Obama's a political superstar and Nick Kershaw was once a pop superstar. You know, they're, they're superstars and we treat them as superstars. When you look at the, you know, I grew up in a Catholic household. When you look at Catholic displays of status, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, you address, you know, them as your holiness and they all have these huge bloody hats on and, you know, gold cups. You know, the, the, the status displays are so unhidden ostentatious you know. yeah, yeah ostentation so it, it, it's not even disguised in in, in in that kind of virtuous world but then after a while you, you know i begin to reconcile that and, and actually where i ended up was a, was a place not so cynical because once you understand that the status you know status is really a fundamental as i say human need uh, and the so so, so it, it, uh, the mistake is saying oh it's just status it's only status status is you know, incredibly important to us. So it's not just an only status. It's really important that people feel good about themselves. Um, and, and, you know, secondarily, the fact that our species has, has kind of developed this kind of evolved technology in which we are rewarded for doing, ver you know, for, for making altruistic selfless acts is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. That's like probably the best thing about our species is that we have, you know, both this conscience inside us so we feel good when we do something selfless and we're celebrated by the people around us when we when we act selflessly is absolutely incredible i mean it's the best part of us and so 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 that's where i ended up really it, it, it's actually you know a, an amazing thing that, that we have a system of automatic reward for acts of selflessness that's a really cool insight the fact that if you were to take the actions as objectively as you can, which is kind of what philosophers do, I suppose, right? They remove the presuppositions and the biases and they look at, is doing this thing actually good in the harsh light of day? And it kind of seems like it is, but we've just like imbibed this. It's just this instantiated embodied knowledge that we just do. Yeah. And then you go, well, no one needed to teach me really. I just, no one actually ever said all of these different rules. There isn't a huge list of them somewhere. I just kind of know. And then you've got the conscience that acts as this, internal enforcement mechanism that makes sure that you you stay on track yeah it is it's yeah, wonderful yeah. yeah it is i mean and, and it's, there, there, there's some really interesting work that when they go around uh, you know globally uh, uh, looking at you know what are the fundamental kind of moral rules and, and and one of the of course there are lots of different ideas about this but the study that i i talk about in the book is this one that finds these seven basic you know uh, universal moral rules but they, they, they are very kind of very basic and open to in you know a huge interpretation it's you know like respect your elders and or respect your superiors um be appear selfless things like this so so, so biologically like you know it does seem it, it does seem like that there is a it, there is a basic kind of very basic kind of blueprint for human moral behavior but all the rest of it is cultural and, and and you know we learn about it throughout childhood that's what childhood is all about it's you know in school with our parents is teaching us the rules of the status game of our time and place you do this good boy good girl bad boy bad girl it's all status it's all up and down if you do this you're up if you do that you're down and you're you know Childhood is about training that imaginary audience in your head. So you don't need the parents anymore. You don't need the teachers anymore. You can, you've actually got it. You've absorbed it and you've become a, you know, a player of your time and place. Childhood is like training the imaginary audience in your head. I think that's pretty good. It's the first day back to school today for a lot of kids. So they'll be learning whether or not that internal audience over <laughs> the last perhaps two years of not, not actually seeing anyone who's working or not. So what happens if you continually lose status? 
really bad things. You know, what, what, one of the when I was thinking about, you know, in the very, very early stages of thinking about whether even this could be a book, I, I kind of set myself a little task. And, and that was the task or question, really. I, you know, if you're going to argue that status is this important, it must be really bad when we lose it. So so what does that look like? And so I started to research humiliation, the effects of humiliation. And, and that's what really convinced me because so, so, the, the, so the, the definition that I came across of humiliation is it's it's not just um, somebody taking your status away from you. It, it, it's basically robbing you of any hope of claiming that status again in the future. You're so lacking in status, you're basically banned from the game. And, and you know, one psychologist describes humiliation as the, as the nuclear bomb of the emotions. So when you look at the very worst things that human be- beings engage in, from anything from genocide to honor killings to spree killings, um, to you know, many instances of serial murder, um, it has humiliation at its core. So, so, so you know, that that really convinced me that, that that this was a really important subject, and that status was you know a fundamental human need. In the book, I tell in some detail the story of Elliot Rogers, the incel. Um, and I was able to tell that story because before he killed a bunch of people and himself, he left a 108,000 word memoir online, which was, you know, re- really a, a truly extraordinary document um, because he, uh, whilst being unbelievably narcissistic, is also incredibly honest about his his, his shortcomings and his and, and his problems. Uh, and there you see, and, and, and I think, you know, what I came to is, is the most dangerous people are not only the ones who've been humiliated again and again and again and again, but they're the, they're the, but they're the they're the narcissists, the grandiose people who've been humiliated again and again and again and again because they feel entitled to a life up here, but what reality is giving them is down here and down here and down here, you know, for years. Um, and you know, especially if you're male and you have a propensity to you know solve status disputes with violence. That's a horrible cocktail. Male, grandiose and humiliated is really, really dangerous. And, you know, I talk about, you know, the, the example of the Unabomber is quite extraordinary. This 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 guy um, went to Harvard and had to, w- w- took part in these basically humiliation experiments. They were like uh, government sponsored experiments. I think CIA sponsored experiments to see is that what the MK happen. Ultra thing or is that a different guy? I think it was related to that. Um, to, People to in the comments, this is the sort of thing that YouTube excels at. <laughs> so we will find the answer. Whoever knows the answer yeah. about MK Ultra and the Unabomber, please link to a video in the comments. Yeah. So 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 so, so they basically got a, 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 a group of people including Ted Kaczynski. And they said, you know, you're going to do a scientific experiment. They didn't really tell them what it is, as is, you know, normal in, in psychological experiments. And they, they basically had them, had them write down all their, all their deep, all their, all their dreams and hopes and ambitions, lots of confessions, even about things about thumb sucking and masturbation. So all their, all their secrets, all their hopes and dreams and values. And then they sat them down in front of, you know, these bright lights and basically mocked them, mocked these individuals. And this happened again and again and again for, for years. And, you know, Kaczynski's brother said, you know, we didn't know what was going on, but we saw the change in him, you know. Um, and, you know, what does the UN in Unabomber stand for? Universities. Why? Because, he, he, you know, they were, they were part of his campaign of terror. He would send, you know, bombs to universities. Um, uh, you know, he, he, he ended up with this kind of mindset 
the 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 you know all, all these kind of scientists who were kind of torturing him when he was at Harvard were responsible for all the problems in the world and he was you know and the grandiosity was there he was going to lead this global revolution and and you know like Elliot Roger with his 108,000 word memoir he had his I think 35,000 word manifesto published in I think it was the Washington Post uh, it, it, you know uh, so 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 obviously a grandiose man definitely you know severely humiliated and you see the consequences. Grandiose, humiliated, and aggressive. So you've got and the, male and male. So you've got the, yeah. the dark triad, but this is more like the dangerous triad. That's the three yeah. that you need to make sure that you don't have. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting thinking about what happens when people lose status that that it gets degraded over time. What about tall poppy syndrome and people that that sort of have it and then you have these huge falls? Because there's a a sense inside the slow motion car crash. Everybody hate follows some people on their social media that the ones that, that you watch just to sort of pity them because you <laughs> you enjoy watching how much they're sort of wrecking everything and no you know, idea what you mean chris well come on i'll go through you <laughs> i'll go through your following if i need to um but yeah everyone's got that and the tall poppy syndrome must be a part of this yeah, totally. As I say, you know, if we, if we don't directly, um, you know, relate to, to, to somebody and kind of really admire them and want to be them, we tend to, you know, really become quite envious of them. And, and so, so yeah, you know, the, the tall poppy syndrome has been found to be a cross-cultural um, uh, effect. There, there was a great study that I didn't put in the status game because it was in my previous book. I didn't want to, didn't want to, I would love to have cut and paste it into the new one. So the two good. books yeah Fuck yeah it. but but it, but it was done by a, a psychologist in the university of shenzhen and um it was uh so, so it was really clever so they got these people and they, and then they you know to, to say you know we're going to you're going to be taking part in a neuroscientific experiment but we're running a bit late and you know so um why don't you go over there and play this computer game and and you know just spend 10 minutes on there so you go over and you play this computer game and you come off the computer game and you say, well, um, you know, just just out of interest, you were kind of pretty mediocre. You know, all these people over here did much better than you. And all those people over there did much worse than you. So that is so, you, OK, you sit down and then they put these people in a brain scanner and they, and they showed them, I think, images or videos of, them of having injections in their face. And what they were looking for were um, uh, signals of empathy, because, as you probably know, you know, when we when when, when we. Um, it's the I think it's, uh, Tanya Singer I think that was the neuroscientist that found this that, that when we empathise you know not the same um, neural patterns but similar neural patterns will will be seen in the brain as if we were actually getting that injection in our face so they they they, they took them and the the people that they saw were the people from the waiting room who done either better or worse at the game than them. And then afterwards, they said to the people, you know, um, did you feel empathy? You know, what did you think about those images? And they said, oh, it's terrible. The injections oh, must have been awful. And they said, did you feel empathy for, for, for them? And, oh, yes, yes, yes. Did you feel empathy for all of them? Oh, yes, yes, yes. But the brain scans gave the lie. They tended to only feel empathy for the people who had done worse than them on the game. And they didn't feel any empathy for the people who did better than them on the game. So that shows you, you know, it's just extraordinary evidence for this, you know, this tall poppy syndrome that, People who we see as higher status than us, we, you know, we, we don't feel empathy for them. We don't like them. Uh, we, uh, another, you know, uh, the, the study that I do quoted in, in the status game shows that people, you know, when people are reading about somebody successful and rich, um, their pain signals become more activated. 
uh, or you know the the, the the kind of the, the, the yeah the, the pain signals become evident and and then when when they, they read a story of that of that same person being you know suffering a fall pleasure systems become activated so 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 you know it's in us it's the status game mechanism Incarnate, in, our, in yeah. our brain yeah it, it's how, it's how we experience the world and it's not not a nice part of human nature but it but it is an undeniable part of human nature trying to map what you've said so far together it feels like we have this sort of relativistic viewpoint of where our status works right it's not absolute it's to do with who we're near yeah. and that shows of status from people specifically people that we're kind of close to whether that be geographically we, that we can relate to rivals that makes us feel quite uncomfortable also reading about it and showing other people having success that makes us feel less good losing status is bad for our health it can cause us to be depressed and it makes us live for less shorter amounts of time does this mean that we should choose our friends very very carefully yeah, I mean, I, I would say so. Uh, you know, I, it, I mean, one of the things I wrote about in my my book Selfie, um, which which was out a few years ago now, um, is is this idea that it's actually you know contrary to what all the self help gurus will tell you, it's very hard to change yourself, and a much better route to kind of something that feels like happiness is by changing your environment, changing you know. Y y y I, yeah, I talked about this idea of the the, the lizard and the iceberg. You know, you can put a lizard on an iceberg and it's a miserable lizard, but take that same lizard and put it in the desert. Suddenly it's a happy lizard and nothing has changed about that lizard, but everything has changed about that lizard. And, 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 and I, you know, I, I, I always think that's an underrated, you know, solution for, for, for a lot of our problems is, is by, you know, trying to change our circumstances. And as ruthless as it sounds, changing the people who you're spending your life with. You know, it, it shouldn't be an option that you just you should just dismiss if somebody is repeatedly making you feel bad, um, then get rid you the, know, the bizarre thing is that a lot of the time we want people that are uh, motivated that are growth minded that make us want to bring out the best of us but those people are often going to be rivals they're going to be people that are doing well that have their own hustle maybe it's not the same hustle as us and yeah i mean it, it seems to me that the best friends for the status game would be the ones that are doing worse than you well, it depends on, 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 on how that person is coming across. You know, w what we don't like are the, are the people who are doing well and they brag about it, whether it's a humble brag or it's showiness or there's constant pictures on Instagram, you know, or, or whatever it is. You know, it's perfectly possible to be, you know, friends with people who are higher status than you if they, if they don't constantly remind you of that fact. I think it's the constant reminders of that fact that, that kind of that, that upsets people. Um, you know, it's the humble bragging and uh, and all that stuff. Uh, and also, you know, mo uh, lots of, our, you know, it, it can be really, you know, um, positive. So I, I didn't write about this in the status game, but in, in my, you know, journalistic life a few years ago, I did a story on CrossFit and, and I went to the CrossFit, annual CrossFit Games in California. And, you know, CrossFit is a classic example of how, the, you know, the, these the, these dynamics can be used for good. People, people, you know, CrossFit is a status game. It's absolutely a status game. It's a success game, um, and um, it's all positive. You know, people people are just there positively pumping status into you when you're working out. You know, and that's how it works. And that's why people get addicted to it because you know you, every week you're getting better and better, and people are clapping you and clapping you. And it's that you know, so so the status game can be positive. These people aren't, you know, that a CrossFit group is going to be bad if it's 
if it's in a sense of, oh, look at look at you, I'm much stronger and faster than you. But that's not what CrossFit is. It's all positive. So or at least that, that's my idea of what, what CrossFit is. So, 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 you know, it can be, you know, you can have healthy status games, but but they, they're the ones that aren't aren't um uh miserly in in the status you know in the book i talk about how a successful group is a status generating machine any successful group is a status generating machine it's generating status for all of its players presumably though status status kind of is a zero-sum game in order for you to rise in status you have to rise relative to someone else that's the whole point so even if you decide to have your group of your five friends that you are the average of and you have that group, even if they do manage to raise you up, that is only in relation to an out-group that you no longer are. So if we still got in-group, out-group mechanisms, it's just that we decide how broad we want to have that viewpoint. It's getting very meta. Yeah, yeah. So so, 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 so there's two things. So, so, so one thing is, um, you know, the, the, the status games compete with other status games. You know, so, so, so you're competing both internally and externally. And, and, and it doesn't have to be, I don't know if it's zero-sum, so internally, I don't know that a zero-sum game um, is exactly right because you know in the CrossFit example you can imagine everyone's just it, there will be a hierarchy there of course there will be there's Ann Middleton at the top and there's me at the bottom you know um, but 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 if Ann Middleton's being really nice to me and go yes mate yes mate yes mate I'm feeling really good because that's the high status person making me feel like I really count and I'm re- I'm doing a really good job so that that you know so it doesn't have to be you know, one of the examples I give as of a really bad status game is Enron, the company Enron, who had who had this rank and yank system. So, you know, regularly the, the whole company would be chopped up into pieces and parts. The top fifteen percent would be rewarded. The bottom fifteen percent, I think it was, were just kicked out, and everybody was, you know, and so, so everyone's just fucking terrified. And you know, and so you don't want to be working for Enron, you know. So, so, so I, I'm not. I, I, so I think zero sum game, you know, status is relative. But it, but it doesn't have to be that, that doesn't necessarily mean it ends up being this absolute kind of hellscape. The other thing, of course, is that status games compete with other status games. And a major source of status for everyone in that group is when your game wins over a rival game. You know, there, there, there was a really telling um, a piece by um, a quote from Laurie Lee, the author Laurie Lee's um, autobiography. And, you know, he, he, he was, you know, a kid at the height, I don't know about the height of the British Empire, but certainly when the British Empire was still the British Empire. And, you know, he talks about being, being about as poor as they get. They lived on boiled cabbage and that, that was what they ate. And, he, and, you know, but he said we'd look at the, we'd, we'd sit in the classroom, we'd look at the map, world map on the walls, all the pink bits with the British em, Empire. And he said we'd look at each other and we'd feel like centurions. You know, it's that idea of... Um, you know, when our group, when the group to which we belong is high status, no matter where we are in it, we feel great. You know, somebody working for Apple computers, you can go to the Apple store tomorrow and you can see people who work for the Apple store. They think they're amazing because they work at the Apple store. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, we need to be very careful about dissing the people from the Apple store. My entire <laughs> life is built upon that infrastructure. So if they no, fucking no. log into the back end of my iCloud and they break, <laughs> they break everything, I'm wrecked. No, well, I have personal experience. My first job when I left school was working in the local independent record shop, and we were the biggest snobs in the world. You know, I was, I was, I was working for a shop. You know, I was work, I think I was earning eighty-five pounds a week or something, and I thought I was amazing because I worked at Long Player, and all the idiots worked at our price and HMV. You know, I, I've, I've, I'm saying that about Apple because I've been that person, hundred percent. You know. 
the, the archetypal um, indie snob from High Fidelity sneering at Celine Dion. I was that person when I was 19. So <laughs> completely guilty. What happens? We've talked about what happens if someone loses status. What about if someone radically gains status? I, you might not know this, but I went on Love Island. I was the first person through the doors of season one of Love Island. So uh, correct. Yes. That is amazing. Yeah, I tend to wait about 45 minutes before I drop that in. So I've timed it. <laughs> I've timed it about right. Uh, yeah. So what happens? You, you take Vanessa, 19, hairdresser from Wigan, yeah. and you just deposit her in the middle of a villa. And then six weeks later, she's got two million followers and a brand deal with Pretty Little Thing. What? <laughs> You're still a fan then? Uh, no, not at, I, I've never watched it. I've never watched a single minute. I lived it. So I've, I've served really? my time. Yeah, How yeah, long yeah. are you in for? Four weeks, a month or so. Oh. I'm going to watch that series. Oh, well. Please don't. Please, <laughs> please don't. Um, see, what happens when someone radically gains status? Um, I think it's dangerous. You know, I do. I think, you know, th- th- there's a very interesting um, uh, study that I kind of talk, write about in depth in the book. And, and the, the psychologists, it was very small. So they had 12 people, which is usually frowned upon in the world of, you know, uh, psychological studies. But um, there were there were there were 12 unnamed, very high status Americans. So celebrities um, you know, actual kind of celebrities. And, and it was quite extraordinary, you know, and it was sort of passing, you know, their, their experience of, of kind of huge, of huge fame. And, and, and they talk about this process that is initially just amazing. It's just dreamlike. People are calling your name. One of them actually said, suddenly you matter. Um, uh, but then what happens is, you know, there, 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 there are various stages, one of which is that you start losing all your old friends because, you know, compared to compared to um uh, you they're nothing and 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 you can't spend time with them without reminding them of the fact that, that you're now up here and they're down there so you lose all your old friends the only people the only friends that you've got left are the people that are there with you because of who you are so you stop trusting everybody and then and then you know i thought what was really telling was that ultimately what happens is that is that is that they you know some of them started talking about how um, nobody really knows me. And, um, and actually, you know, it, it was like they had plenty of the success variety of status, but they started wanting the virtues kind of variety of status. And they started, you know, getting cross because, oh, you know, I'm actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, the real me, if you, if you only knew the real me. So, so, so I, you know, it is obviously, you know, not all it's cracked up to be fame, but, but also I think, you know, personally, I remember a few years ago meeting somebody who obviously I won't name, but she, um, found enormous success when she was in her early twenties. Um, and, um, yeah, I can say you know, in a Hollywood film, I'll go that far and then nothing. And, um, you know, when I met, I met her when she was in her, I would say early middle age and she struck me just as a deeply unhappy woman, you know, she kept referencing the film, uh, and the success. Um, and you know, she talks a little bit about how the fact that she, she can't go out and just get an ordinary job now, because then there've been stories in the newspapers about, look at this person, look what they're doing now. Um, but I kind of, you know, I think if you were to ask her about her success, she would probably say it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It was amazing. But I, I left with a powerful sense that it was actually the worst thing that ever happened to her because it had ruined the rest of her life. And, you know, we, we, we're not designed to have that much status. You know, we evolved in these relatively small groups. Um, we, we haven't evolved to have global fame levels of status. It's not good for us. You, you can see it in, in, in the behavior of people becoming enormously famous. 
um, you, you, know, you know, not not all the time, but but especially when they become famous young, you know, it, it does something to people. It, it turns them into not nice individuals. So so, so yeah, I, 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 for me, the ideal, you know, the, the ideal sort of perfect life would be a slow but you know steady rise in status throughout your life that that's the ideal to go for you know you where every year you, you you achieve something else and you achieve the next thing and you achieve the next thing i don't think that's possible you know um uh, because there's always going to be setbacks but 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 the sudden spike of fame when you're 19 20 21 i think is is, is very often a disaster because it's unsustainable it is like hedonic adaptation the way that we deal with our status. And then we're so relativistic that as soon as we've been to that peak, now, even though we're continuing to look forward, we've always got this reference point behind it. Well, I'm not, I'm not where I used to be. So yeah, I, this was something that I had in my, in my head. There's a, a fitness tracker that I use and it tracks your um, heart rate variability and your resting heart rate. And it gives you a score and it says, this is how rested you are. And whether you are green, amber or red, is dependent on how you are relative to your previous period. Let's say it's a seven-day window or a 14-day window. And if you are better than that, then it says that you are green. And if you're about the same, it says that you're amber. And if you're worse than that, it says that you're red. Mm. So the only way to get... And a lot of people that are part of this Whoop community, they talk about green recovery. So seven green recoveries in a row is like, wow, you've nailed your recovery, mate. But what they don't realize is that the only way to perpetually get green recovery is to essentially have a resting heart rate that drops to nothing and a heart rate variability which is limitless because over time you have to continue progressing and let's say that you keep your whoop on for 50 years and in 50 years time your heart beats like resting heart rates one a minute and your (laughs) heart rate variability is 3000 or something that's the only way that you could do it and it's kind of the same with status that the only way to assuage our feelings of not having the right amount of status is to continually grow which obviously i guess lends itself perfectly to a meritocracy where you are what you do a capitalist society where you can contribute where you want to be sort of on this wheel of personal growth and improvement and contribution and stuff like that yeah, I think that's right. So, so there's a chapter in the book called the floor, and, and you know, and the floor really, I argue, it's this idea is is what you, is exactly what you say is, is the fact that we very easily acclimatise to our sense of status. You know, we we might suffer wafts of imposter syndrome if we get a sudden bump, but that doesn't usually last long. And and when we get our rewards, we're very good at uh, deciding actually I deserved all of those rewards and all my critics are idiots. You know, that, that that's what we do. You know, we we accept the status and we acclimatise to it. And then we want more, you know, and we keep wanting more and we keep wanting more. And I think that's why super famous people end up often, not always, obviously, but often end up becoming so monstrous because they keep wanting more status and more status. And they have to show um, that they, um, they they have to show the people around them that, that, that they have more and more status. So their behavior becomes kind of ever more monstrous. So there, there are some you know stories in there about kind of crazy celebrities wanting their I think it was it was Kanye West wanted his um it was it said that the carpet in his dressing room was too bumpy and he ordered it to be ironed so he had to, someone had to go and iron his carpet you know and you know some of the you know fred the shred the the, the old boss of the royal um uh, bank of scotland and you know having it whilst he was making all his 
terrible, huge sort of cuts, um, w- w- was having his kitchen in, in his office relocated so his scallops could arrive to his desk um, a little warmer. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you know, it, it makes, you know, high status can easily make monsters of us exactly because of that, because we acclimatize to it, we accept our level as appropriate, and then we want more, and then we want more, and then we want more. What about those Inuits that you looked at? Didn't they do a song and dance when people got too big for the boots? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's when we're talking about, um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the resentment again, the, the, the fact that we don't like big shots. And th- there's, there's lots of evidence in the anthropological literature of, um, you know, people dealing with, you know, what is sometimes referred to as big shot behavior. And, you yeah, know, I like the idea that, that there's one Inuit group that sings a song of derision at people who are <laughs> at the braggarts and the big dicks, you know. So uh, I just thought that was hilarious. A song of derision, my so God. So they circle I, the person that's got a bit too much big dick energy and they sort of exactly. point and bring him down a couple yeah, of pegs. It's, it's Twitter, essentially. But, uh, <laughs> but in Inuit, some form. Eskimo Twitter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How does the status game relate to cancel culture? Well, I mean, it's very, very, very much so. I mean, I mean, you know, the internet mobs, I think, are um, a dominance virtue game. It's about threat. It's about um, coercion. It's about you will follow the rules of my status game. Also, virtue signaling on the side of the of the cancellor as well. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 yeah, and I think one of the, I think probably the the most interesting thing, the the the, the idea that really made sense of cancel culture for me, was this idea called the tyranny of the cousins, um, and, and the, the chapter about internet mobs is called the tyranny of the cousins, and this was a real surprise to me. So 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 it's this idea that the the, the groups in which we evolved very often, not always, but very often didn't have like a big leader, big man leader at the top who was in charge. And, you know, that was really surprising to me because when you look at human life today, there's leaders everywhere. You know, we, we seem to love leaders, but but they weren't. And and so there, there, there was no sort of big single leader that was in charge of everything. Instead, there would be sort of a, a group of, you know, elders or kind of high status there were relatively egalitarian groups but relatively high status people that would gather together to make decisions at certain times um and you know according to their specialism you know different people might have you know different kinds of sway but it's very much about um you know these these early human groups these pre-modern groups are very much about consensus or the illusion of consensus and and so so that happens when people break breaks the rules of the group you know it wasn't like somebody would decide you're going to be punished it was just this sense of consensus would gather against this person and it would be an atmosphere of, of, of gossip people telling nasty stories about him um and 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 that would that would create moral outrage and more moral outrage would create more consensus and it would build up and build up and build up until it, you know and, and in the case in which i sort of describe in the book this poor bastard um was accused of um using sorcery to kill somebody and he was killed and eaten yeah and so and, and so that is exactly what you see you know that is exactly what you see on social media no one's in charge of a cancel culture mob no one can start it no one can stop it it's something that that that, that builds itself up in an atmosphere of accusation gossip and consensus and it just and and, and it kind of fires at this person and so so, so you know the, the 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 tyranny of the cousins is is about this idea that that you know when we were evolving in those groups um we weren't under the kind of fear of the tyranny of leaders where it was the fear of the tyranny of these cousins and they weren't literal cousins but there were these ideas of these closely you know the, 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 these these tribal elders that would sort of lead and sort of whisper to each other and and and, and try and make this consensus happen and you know it's extraordinary i could, I could compare kind of a modern mobbing to a 
a deadly mobbing in I think it was the Gabusi tribe in, in Papua New Guinea and, and and some of the details are, are sort of hauntingly um similar in 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 what happens in, in these incidents you know the, the victims in a state of panic um, when they realize what's happening you know dancing between conf- you know defending themselves or being too scared to defend themselves and then sort of semi-confessing but then not because they didn't actually bloody do anything and you know you see this in the Gabusi and you see this in you know victims of cancel culture you also looked at the first ever social media network thing from the internet ages ago and there was echoes of exactly what we're seeing now there and it's just a reminder that perhaps technology's removed the friction and it's made it more expedited that we can do this it's quicker and it's more aggressive and there's more fragmented groups in groups and out groups that are playing status games against each other because of that frictionlessness but it's nothing new you know to blame and this was something that was a tough pill for me to swallow because i think that human nature i like to think that human nature is fundamentally virtuous and good and it's an easy out to blame the ills that we're seeing at the moment on algorithms and and social media but they may magnify but the the fundamental of where these impulses came from is our nature right yeah absolutely and it, uh, this was a big lesson i learned again when i was researching selfie and, and that was all about you know the, the, the kind of the narcissism of social media and where that came from and and one of the big sort of turning points of understanding for me and there was the idea of the selfie camera and you know the the the, the idea was that you know um the 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 technologists see Steve Jobs's fault and it's you know Google's fault for, for for selfie culture because they put these cameras on the phones, but the you know the original selfie cameras weren't called selfie cameras they were called front facing cameras and and what Apple and the other companies thought they'd be good for were business meetings and for talking to your nan but that's not what we did with them it, you know we started taking pictures of ourselves you know mostly um so so you know uh, you know Silicon Valley are constantly throwing ideas at us the you know ninety nine point nine nine percent of those ideas get rejected and a tiny amount and get get picked up and it's the people it's human beings that decide which silicon valley technologies are successful and those and those companies then you know tune their platforms and devices around what we want and you know what i found in selfie is exactly the same as what i found when i was researching the status game in social media it's that you can't blame mark zuckerberg or jack dorsey for um cancel culture um yeah, the, the first kind of social media site, as we would recognise it today, was was the Well, um, it, which was back in the you know formed back in the 1980s. Still, when people were having to do that thing with their phones, like off war games. I don't know what it is, a modem. So, so, so it was a very small group, and and when, and when it got to about the, about 500 users, so the Well was a bit like Reddit. So it was the the idea was like. Um, uh, people, it was mostly people in in, in California. They, they would gather around little interest groups and they would just play little status games, talking about you know wine or the you know eco stuff or whatever it was. And when it when it got to about um, five hundred, this sort of this individual arrived who just basically hated men and was just you know firing off all this anti male invective constantly. And you know and 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 they kind of mobbed around this person. It got them kicked off the platform eventually. Deleted as many of their this person's. Um, um uh entries uh, as possible yeah. yeah so 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 it was all there and this person was gender nonconformist so biologically female didn't identify as man but but used male pronouns and used male name so um slightly complicated but i just thought it was extraordinary that in 1986 
There was cancel culture. They were arguing about pronouns. You know, all the stuff that we see today and that we, you know, we tend to, we often blame on Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey happened in the very first social media website. And to me, that just shows, you know, what is Twitter? It's status games. You bring people together, you connect them into communities, they start competing for status and, you know, with, with each other and against, you know, game versus game. And that's what that, that and so and, you know, and when that started working for Twitter, of course, they they molded their technology around these things, but they didn't create it. It, it was inevitably what was going to happen. You know, I, I quote this, this, you know, one of the other things I wrote about in Selfie and also in this book is it's this kind of utopian technologist idea, the wired, you know, magazine ideas from the nineties and the early two thousands, the, the, the vision of the internet, which is when you connect everybody together, it's going to be this utopia, no hierarchy, no disagreements, everybody getting on together. And it's just the opposite of what happened. And it's the opposite of what happened because it's human nature. You know, that's what we do, you know, for good and for ill. That's what we do. As individuals, is it, is it low status behavior to talk openly about status? Like, is acknowledging status motives a low status signal? Yeah, that, that's a really weird one. It, it obviously is. You know, people people don't like to think um, uh, of themselves as, as only, only do this for status. It's a terrible, you know, we, we readily recognize it in our enemies, but, we, but we, we hate recognizing it in ourselves. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, there's, it's really this idea of the storytelling brain. You know, if the subconscious truth of us is that we're just all out going for connection and status, um, as well as those other drives, you know, sex, food, you know, all that other stuff. Enabled um, by status. Yeah, the, the the um or yeah or yeah yes and um the the kind of conscious experience of life we have isn't that we tell this heroic story about ourselves, and you know so so in several books I've talked about the idea of the brain as the hero maker it, it takes all the messy realities of our day to day life and conjures this heroic story of self um uh, uh, that, that explains who we are in, in the best possible light. And, you know, the, and, and increasingly the way I've, I've come to see that kind of story is, is it's almost like a sales pitch to both to, 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 to the people with whom you share your life. You know, you really believe it's true. Um, you've got all these biases and prejudices which which distort reality. You know, we even misremember our past in such a way that makes us feel more heroic. Um, so 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 I, I think it's that kind of sales pitch, that story that, 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 that is actually the conscious experience is so resistant to this idea of status because it doesn't want to think of ourselves as that. It's a hero maker. It wants to say, no, I want to change the world. I want to, I'm just, I'm a good person. I am, I am better than everybody else. It's not, you know, so, so, um, so, so yeah, I, I think, I, I think that's why there's this disconnect. You know, it's this, it's this, it's this unpleasant subconscious truth, I think, in a way. Did you have a look at which occupations are the most and the least anxious around status? I didn't. I didn't see any data on that. Um, I, I no, I didn't. Uh, anxious about status? No. But I mean, just the most sort of status anxiety, I suppose. Because you think about, I mean, politics is, as far as I can see, almost exclusively that. Like it's all image and schmooze and connections and yeah. This is one of the things that I think that that behind the scenes of you know, the West Wing or Whitehall or whatever, these people must be just frantic, terrified, perpetually, constantly playing this sort of very political, by nature, backbiting-y status game. 
Yeah, I suppose that's why politics is so fascinating and makes such for great stories, because people's status is so fragile in the world of politics. And, you know, again, you see, you know, why politics is such a vicious world, simply because status is incredibly fragile and it can be taken from you at any moment. And there's a sense of people plotting against you. So, so yeah, I, I had never thought of that, but that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, the, the one profession I do write about in, in book is the legal profession. Because I found this incredible paper by this former lawyer and now judge, he wrote this paper basically addressing young, you know, young lawyers who just left, you know, law school and were going into their their, their big name law firms. And he basically said to them, "By the way, you're going to become within two years, you're going to become corrupt. Every day, you're going to be making corrupt decisions. You're going to be lying. You're going to be stealing. And this is why." And the paper was basically. Um, you know, a description of the status game. He was saying that, you know, but by the by the very fact that you're a, you're a lawyer and you've been to law school, you're an incredibly competitive person. Um, and now you're in a new game and that game is measured by money and you're going to become obsessed with money because every six months the legal journals print uh, this league table about who's earning what and you're going to pour over those league tables. But the problem is you're going to be working as hard as it's possible to work. You know, lawyers are really unhappy people. There's high divorce rate, high alcoholism, high drug abuse, terrible working hours. So given the fact that you're incredibly competitive, you're playing a game in which money is your status symbol and um, you're, work, you're already working as hard as it's possible to work. What are you going to do to get ahead? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to start double billing. You're going to start accidentally losing documents, which are unhelpful to your uh, um, client, you know, and so on and so on. And, and he said he was perfectly, perfectly honest. It, it happened to it's going to happen to you because it and it happened to me, you know. So, 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 you know, I, I think the legal, the, 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 you know, the, the, you know, the big name legal profession, I think, is just an insanely intense status game. But by, by, by the evidence of that paper, is it possible to exit the status game then? No, I, I, it isn't. It really isn't. Um, but but it is possible to play different games, you know. And so, one of the sort of really funny studies that I that, that I came upon was was this one that looked at meditation, and you know, because we often hear these kind of wellness people that say, "Oh no, well, you know, I used to be really interested in ego, but now I do mindfulness meditation." And so they, they studied um, three thousand seven hundred meditators, and these were meditators who were specifically chosen that the ones that were meditating, their practice was about ego needs and you know success and status, and they found that they measured very high in in spiritual superiority. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just really funny because you know that's true. You know that when yeah, and, you know, and it would be as true of me as it's true of anyone. If you become really good at meditating, you start to feel really good about yourself. You start to think, oh, you know, I've got this insight that nobody else has got. You can't get away from it. You know, you, you can't do it. So, so, so um, yeah, it's... Um, I always remember in 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 the Heretics, um, one of my previous books. I went on a ten day silent Vipassana retreat, really hardcore meditation, and um, every few hours our meditation would be interrupted by this British. It was in Australia. This British guy would come in in all his robes and whatnot, and he'd give us his talk, and. Um, because I, I I was there I wasn't good at like, good at the job of meditating so I had bad my hips were killing me so I'd I was sitting with my feet facing him and then on the second day I think it was I was pulled out and I was you know uh, of the group and I was bollocked I was told off because he was so offended 
by the side, but he said, you know, showing me the soles of your feet is very rude. And I just thought, man, you're supposed to be Mr. Enlightenment, right? <laughs> like you're supposed to be the guru here. And you, you've just really shamed me and embarrassed me because, you're, you know, the sight of my feet was so, you know, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's the whole thing. like <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Like it was comical that, that he was so chippy about his status that, that that's what he did. So, so yeah, I mean, and the only people, the other people apart from meditators who try, the hikikomori in Japan, of course, who feel that they, they can't connect. They're, they're the shutterways who who refuse to leave their bedrooms. And when you look at, um, uh, you know, the, the beliefs of the average hikikomori, you know, they they could hear very closely with what we describe as a status game. They say that we are, you know, I find it impossible to connect with other people. Nobody values me, so they just shut themselves away in their bedrooms. And that's the only feasible way you can separate yourself from the status game. Really, in a sense, is by separating yourself from other people. But you've still got that imaginary audience in your head that's judging you all the time and probably not judging There'll you very well. Still be shame and guilt. Yeah, exactly. So you you can't. But, but what you can do are play different games. You know, if one game is working out for you you know you, you can go and play a different game and also you know in, in the end of the book I, you know, I advise a few things and one of them is to play a hierarchy of games you don't want to play just one game because because people who play one games are in a cult and that's the definition of a cult it's like it's a status game that's completely exclusive you're not allowed to get your connection and status from anywhere else not your job not your family not your friends it's us and us alone and and you know when one group is your sole source of status you're highly at risk of, of, of irrational um, belief, irrational behavior. So cults, you know, fundamentalist religious groups, ex- you know, fundamentalist, you know, political groups, you know, on the left and on the right. You know, if these people are sourcing their connection status from just one source, um, they're very liable to start believing sort of crazy things and, and behaving in damaging ways. And it's dangerous for them, too, because if they're kicked out of the group or if the group kind of fails in some way, their whole sense of self fails because they have nothing. You, you know, your sense of self is bound up in the games that you're playing. You are the games that you play. So so. The, but then the answer isn't to play lots and lots of games equally, because to 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 re, you know status games are hard, and to and to and to, and to actually earn status in a status game takes effort and time and um, application. So I think the idea is to play a hierarchy of games. Really, is to have one main game uh, that, 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 to which you devote most of your time, but then have you know a few other ones in this kind of hierarchy. So you've always got that kind of you've got you've got different versions of self, different versions of you who are earning status in it's got various different ways. And you're kind of it's like a hedge like a property like portfolio thing. Your portfolio, yeah. So I think that's the ideal. What are some of the qualities that people should try to develop if they want to be a virtuous high status individual? Well, I don't know about virtuous. I, you know, one of the one of the things that I kind of looked at was okay. So, you know, if there is this thing as the status game, how, how should we behave? You know, what's the optimal, what's the optimal way that we should behave? So, I I, I read the literature on they call it um, optimal presentation, I think, or self presentation. You know, how we should um, um, present to people if we were to be received well socially and, and it was very interesting because when you looked at what they were saying it, it, it did cohere around this idea of dominance virtue and success the three main games of human life so 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 really it's warmth and sincerity and competence if you if you can if you can approach people uh, embodying those three qualities you, you, it's very hard for you to fail in life because when you when you're warm to people, you're saying to them, you're signaling to them, I'm not going to going to seek status by domination. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm not going to coerce you. I'm not going to bully you. You know, I'm here in warmth. When you're sincere, you're you're you're, you're saying I'm going to be virtuous. You know, I'm not going to bullshit you. 
um, you know, when things are going badly, I'm going to tell you they're going badly because, you know, the whole point of prestige, the success and virtue is you're useful. So I'm going to be useful because I'm going to be sincere. I'm going to tell you the truth, uh, you know, in a, in a warm way. And then finally, a competence, you know, um, I'm going to be useful. I've got all the I've got this skill. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to learn this skill, too. And together and this skill is useful for our game and, and it's going to help help our game win in its um, competition with rival games. So, so I think that's the really, a, you know, I call it a blessed triumvirate of qualities, warmth, sincerity, and competence. If you can embody those three qualities, it's hard for you to fail in life. I love it. Will Store, ladies and gentlemen, the status game on social position and how we use it. Is this the cover of the main no. one? So no, this that's is a, a joke. So this is a galley copy. And I yeah. don't know if anyone's ever going to, are you all right for me to show this? Can I show yeah, what this course. looks like? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, this is, there we go, we're in focus. This is the smartest galley cover <laughs> I have ever seen. So for the people that are just listening, it says the status game on social position and how we use it. And that takes up about 10% of the front. And then in huge letters below it says, by the best-selling author, Will Store. It's huge that takes up all of the bottom of it. Dude, <laughs> I I wondered, I, I was talking to a friend, I was like, if he decides to do it, it's really ballsy because presumably it probably doesn't convert r- well when it's on the airport, um, whatever, <laughs> bookshelf. But I was like, that is fucking brilliant. So I'm glad that I'm I'm happy that I got this one. Yeah, if, if I pe- saw the, the designer's options and that was at the bottom. I think that they'd, they'd done that as a joke, but I was like, that is amazing <laughs> that we've got. To, and I'm, I'm campaigning for that to be the paperback cover, but I'm not sure. I have had some feedback from people who haven't got it and they just think oh, I'm being a dick. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so you know how so, big <laughs> the text is that they've got your name on on here. <laughs> I think it's really funny. People that don't yeah. get irony. If anyone wants to keep up to date with what you're doing, where should they go? Um, Twitter's the best place at W Store S T O R. Amazing. Will, thank you, bro. Cheers, Chris. It was great talking to you. Thank you. How good was that? I really hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And if you did, go and pick up Will's book, The Status Game. It's linked in the show notes below, and it's such an easy, entertaining read. Don't forget that you can get a year's free supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs, free pots, shakers, and more, plus a 60-day money-back guarantee from Athletic Greens by going to athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. It is the all-in-one nutritional supplement that I use every single day, athleticgreens.com slash modernwisdom. And you can supercharge your morning by using Element every single day. Head to drink lmnt.com slash modern wisdom to get a free sample pack all that you do is cover the cost of shipping which is three pounds 80 or five dollars and you'll get eight eight different flavors that you can try out drink lmnt.com slash modern wisdom i'll see you next time